Colossians chapter 2. As we continue in the book of Colossians, I will be reading verse 6 to 23 today, and I have I will comment on the whole chapter. Matter of fact, I will preach on the whole chapter, so hold on. I've decided to preach through this text today. Starting in verse 6, Paul's writing. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, that means live in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. Everybody say, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You have been filled in him, or you are complete in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teaching. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion, and asceticism, and severity of the body. But they are no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for enlightening us into what truth is. We thank you for saving us by grace and not by works. We thank you that you look at the heart and not at the actions and what we try to do, Father God, that through our thanksgiving and our praise we acknowledge how awesome you are, Father God. It stirs up love. It stirs up obedience, Father God. We act out of love because you first loved us, Father God. 
With abounding thanksgiving and gratitude in our heart, we thank you that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We thank you we're born again. We thank you that we are saved. We're being saved and we're going to be saved. We thank you, Father God, that you can never, no one can ever take our names out of the Lamb's Book of Life, Father God. We thank you that salvation is full and free by the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that speaks to our hearts, who gives us a new heart and a new mind. We thank you, God, for every good and perfect gift that comes through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. As we read this text, let's be forthright up front. This text is a showdown. Make no distinction about it. It's a showdown between law and grace, between faith and works. It's a showdown between being in Adam or being in Christ. It's a showdown between objective truth that can be analyzed and verified and subjective experience that cannot. It's the major point of this epistle. It's not the classic fight between the law of Moses and grace in Christ that we see in Galatians. It has its own flavor, its own distinction. There's a wolf in sheep's clothing that has stepped into this church, has come under the guise that I too believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. But yet they're not believing in the same Jesus that Paul preached. Or Epaphras, the faithful pastor of this church that he preached. He came preaching another Jesus and another message. It's a mixed bag of deceptive philosophy. Paul calls it human traditions. Some cultural things that this church was used to doing before Christ came into their life. uh, They were familiar with it. it. It gave them... Warm, fuzzy religious feeling, these traditions. Uh, Mommy did it, and Daddy did it, and Grandma did it, and Grandpa did it, and we've always done it. Human tradition, we've always done it. It makes us feel good and close, but it's empty, deceitful, and it's of man, it's not of God. He came preaching not just deceptive philosophy of human traditions, but some Jewish ceremonial law keeping. We see, do not drink. Do not eat, or with regard to festivals and new moons and a Sabbath. That's the religious calendar that the Jews used to follow. He also came preaching some kind of certain aesthetic practices, like treating the body harshly, probably through many fastings and denying himself any kind of pleasures, any kind of worldly pleasure. Uh, Not sin, just enjoying life. There's some religious folk that think that if you're enjoying life, you cannot truly love God. Of certain foods and clothing and comforts of life. They were giving it all up in the name of God. But at the same time, they were passing judgment and lifting up their nose to everybody else who what? Who didn't do it. They kept on insisting you must treat the body harshly. In an attempt to beat down the sinful diet, the the sinful desires. They came preaching the worship of angels. Some kind of special visitation that they had because of a result of beating down their body. Of fasting and self-denial. That God saw their extreme effort and rewarded them with visions of mighty angels. And the motive and the power of all this was their inflated Egos, the false teachers. 
The ego was built upon something. They were going into detail about visions they had. Woo-hoo. They were puffed up, Paul says, without reason by their sensuous mind. Carnal mind. Had nothing to do biblically. Had nothing to do, couldn't be verified by one verse of scripture. Carnal, sensuous mind. Just going off into visions of angels and whatever they wanted to come. Then coming back down to earth and saying, thus says the Lord. Nothing to do with scripture. Nothing to do with biblical revelation. Nothing to do with the prophets. Nothing to do with Moses. Nothing to do with Christ. Nothing to do with the apostles. Nothing at all to do with God. This man's own personal, subjective, spiritual experiences, whether they're real or perceived, we don't know, cannot be verified, brought on him this prideful, self-serving devotion to fasting and self-denial of earthly pleasures and comforts is what brings some sort of legitimacy, these visions, these fastings, this treating the body harshly, It brought some sort of legitimacy to this deceptive teaching. That was the origin. That's what gave him the authority to speak. I had a vision. I fast. I treat my body harshly. I'm an authority. Listen to me. Insisting he was doing. This allows this person that comes in, I believe in Jesus, but not the Jesus Paul preached. This allows him to insist that others also treat their bodies harshly and fast to the point of passing out, of denying themselves any earthly comfort as though it was evil to enjoy life, to enjoy being married, to enjoy sexual relations between a husband and wife, to enjoy food that's been sanctified through prayer and through Christ. Paul sums up the whole charade and three prohibitions. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. As though that's what God's concerned with. That's what pleases God. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Paul goes on to say, which even though it has the appearance of divine wisdom... And man-made religion, with its so-called visions and revelations, at the end, this whole religious charade does, is useless against the indulgences of the flesh, of sin, and sinful desires. Listen to what he says here in verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion, asceticism and severity to the body but they are no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh the bottom line is this it is powerless to save and it's powerless to sanctify it's purely powerless no matter how enticing it sounds or how well crafted their arguments are or how fascinating their personal visions and experiences and revelations are, and they go on and on and on, it's not of God. On the other hand, is Jesus Christ the Lord. That their founder, Epaphras, preached 
this minister, this faithful minister, this faithful pastor, this faithful evangelist, this faithful friend of this community, he preached and he taught nothing else but Jesus Christ the Lord. A Christ that the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in. He's both God and he's both man. He preached the Christ who is the head of all rule and authority in the entire universe, visible or invisible, seen and unseen, temporary and eternal. Christ is the head of every secular government, every spiritual government. Nothing can be done without the nod of Christ. He taught a Christ who personally and intimately circumcised them with a circumcision made without hand. That means that Christ personally came into their life one day and he set them apart and they were born of the Spirit. They were regenerated. Jesus came and washed their sins away from their conscience and set them free from shame and from guilt. He preached to Christ who rescued or liberated them from Satan in the kingdom of darkness and brought them into the kingdom of light. He came and preached to Christ who did not think about dying for people who were dead in transgressions, people who were his own enemies of holiness and righteousness and justice. They were enemies of the Lord. They were enemies of the God. They were enemies of love. But he preached to Christ that loved them so much that he died for them. He preached the Christ who made atonement through his own blood as he died on the cross as a common thief, a common criminal he was crucified as. And he preached the God who made them alive together with Christ, having forgiven them of all their trespasses. He preached the God who made them co-heirs of eternal life with his dear son, Jesus Christ. He came and preached to God who buried them. With Christ in baptism, he removed every stain of sin. He preached about a God who raised them spiritually. In a spiritual resurrection of the heart, they were born again. He came and preached with him that through faith in the powerful work in the God, he would raise them from the dead too. He preached about a God who gave them a new spiritual heart with new religious affections for God and for, and for people. And not just that, but a pastor, the faith, faithful minister came and preached about a God who has canceled the record of debt that stood against them with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And what that means is that there is no more evidence legally ever to be used against their sin. Paul sums up this very thing, this very truth, this very concept in Romans chapter 8 verses 31 to 34. He says it in another way. Listen to the way he says the same thing in another way. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How How will he not now also with him graciously give us all things? He goes on to say, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it who condemns? Or he says, 
Who could possibly condemn us? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. You know what that means? It means he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them in open shame. He, he triumphed them over them in him on the cross. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to me? Well, it means this. When Satan, the accuser of the brethren, comes and condemns us for our sin, we point to the blood of Christ. When the demons come, when religious charlatans come and point their nose at us and say, but you're not doing things, you've got to do something to be saved. We point to Christ. Whether pastors, ministers, popes, priests, cardinals, ex-friends or bishops come and they try to tell us about our past, we remind them about the blood of Christ. That's what saves a man. If they were to bring a charge against God's elect, it could not stand up in the face of God. In God's court of law or man's court of religious opinions, they're forgiven. They're forgiven once and for all. They're forgiven full and free. They're forgiven now and forever. They're forgiven from the beginning to the end. They're forgiven in part and in full. Their past sins, their present sins, and their future sins are all forgiven, nailed to the cross of Calvary. They're a new creation now, Paul says. We no longer know them according to the flesh. Never again will we know a man according to his past sins. Never again will we know a man saying, do you know what he did ten years ago? I knew him when. It makes no difference what we used to do, what we were. In the eyes of God, we're new creations. In the eyes of one another, we're new creations. We don't point to our past sins. We don't point to someone saying, I remember when he used to do that. No, in the eyes of God, they're new creations. Even if they're struggling with old things, they're new creations in God's sight. Forgiven. Once and for all. Paul uses his favorite expression for all this in verses 8 to 15. In six verses, he writes seven times, in him. In him. Enough is said. It's not about us anymore. It's about us in him. The wolf that crept in unnoticed came on with his personal subjective feelings and experiences and visions and self-denial. His elemental spiritual teachings about relationship with God is based on food and drink and do's and don'ts. He came in stuck and saying our relationship with God is based on a religious calendar. It's summed up in these prohibitions. Do not taste, do not handle, do not touch. That's how you please God. Do not taste, do not handle, do not touch. Go to church several times a year. Do this and, and, and wash your hands before you eat and keep the Sabbath. That's what pleases God. Paul says those are a shadow. But Christ is the substance. It's a mixture. This man came preaching a mixture of legalism, mysticism, and asceticism. That's all he did. Trying to sound like he was sent from God and has God's approval through his visions. Puffed up in his mind, Paul says, with his sensuous 
visions by his many crafty words and twisting theology in his visions, which looks like wisdom, Paul says. It has the appearance of true faith. They're doing a lot of sincere things for God. Just look, people would say. Look, they love God. They're devoted to their devotions. But they're not devoted to God. They're sincere. But they're sincerely wrong. It's fool's gold. Fool's gold. And it condemns those who follow it. It can either save a sinner or change a sinner. On the other hand, Epaphras, the faithful minister of Christ, who taught them the true faith, came armed with nothing but Christ. Armed with Christ and his crucifixion and his resurrection for sinners. That's all he had. He had no visions. He had no food laws. He had no religious calendar. All he has was a crucified and resurrected Savior. A friend of sinners. That's what he had. And he came up with a message of faith and repentance towards God. A turning away from self and turning away from sin. And turning to a Savior in his salvation, which is full and free. All by God's grace. No subjective personal experiences that no one can verify. He didn't come with these, oh, oh, God told me this, or I had a dream, or I had a vision. No, he didn't come with any subjective personal experiences with angels or with God that no one can verify, that is only for the spiritually elite, the spiritually privileged, who can somehow figure out the complicated riddle of dreams and visions. No, no. He came down with one thing, objective truth from God, that was hung on Calvary's hill for all to see. He came with nothing but Jesus Christ, and that's all he preached. He preached what Jesus preached. He preached what the apostles testified to. He preached what the Old Testament prophets prophesied about, that the day that God will save sinners on the basis of faith. And started with Abraham. Abraham believed, and it was accounted to him as what? Righteousness. And to know that they're all sinners and under the wrath of God. But that God also loves them deeply with a radical love that this man and his visions, this man and his revelations, this man and his prohibitions of do not taste, do not eat, and do not handle. He could never comprehend the deep love of a radical God found in Christ Jesus when he came and he hung on the cross to die for his enemies. That's all Epaphras had was the truth, objective truth. The devout Jew, the devout pagan, the prostitute, the drunk, the thief, the whoremonger, crackhead, murderer, the so-called good person, anybody, and any, everybody, anywhere, no matter who they are, or what they have done, can come to the fountain of salvation and drink freely from the grace of God. And you drink freely from the grace of God, not by, do not handle do not taste or do not touch. 
You come by faith and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. That's it. That's it. And who are those who have come? How do we know? The legalist would ask. Where's the proof of their sincerity that they obey God? Where's the proof, the legalist would ask? The answer, look for the grateful heart. Listen to the thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. And not just any thanksgiving. Not just any gratitude. No, 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 no. But this is the deepest cry of a sinner saved by grace. There is no greater praise to God than a sinner who has been saved by grace. Nothing. Thanking God for the forgiveness at Christ's expense. Singing songs from the heart. Singing praises to God. That's all we have now. That's all we have. There's nothing else I can give God but thank you, God. They have simple childlike faith, which empowers them to live above the indulgences and the desires of the flesh. How do we know the legalist asks? From the outside, it looks like they're doing nothing. There's no Sabbath, there's no regulations. There's no food regulations. There's no drink regulations. There's no religious calendar. To them, all the days seem the same. There's no mystical experiences. There's no visions. There's no false humility and standing in judgment of others brought about by self-denial and earthly comforts. Believe in their closer to God for it? No. None of these external things that at the end of the day can never stop the cravings. The sinful things. No, these people only have inner peace with God. They have inner joy. They have inner happiness with outward manifestation of a changed life. Actually, it looks like they're doing nothing spiritually. It looks like they're doing nothing religiously. They just they just willingly go to church. They enjoy going to church. They enjoy reading their Bibles. And they pray from the heart all day. They sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This drives self-righteous, legalistic, religious people crazy. We do nothing and we're changed. We do nothing and we sing. We do nothing and we have thanksgiving. We do nothing and we speak about Jesus. We do nothing but live holy lives. We do nothing and we begin to hate the sinful things we used to love. Because we've been circumcised with a circumcision that is without hands. Christ himself came and gave you and I a new heart. And he took the old heart away. And he took our sins and he nailed it to the cross. That no matter the rules and authorities can point their fingers at us, it can't touch us. We're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And the legalists, they're insulted. At the thought that they're not right with God. They're insulted because of their many spiritual activities. They have a very high opinion of themselves. Usually at the expense of other people. That's what's going on in this text. 
I'll spend more time as the weeks go on to analyze some of the bits and pieces that I think are important. But let me go into application. Sandwiched between the Christian and the flesh. Sandwiched between the Christian and verse 23, the indulgences of the flesh, is Christ crucified and resurrected. Between the Christian and the flesh is a Holy Spirit. Between the Christian and the flesh is a life of heartfelt thanksgiving for the forgiveness of their sins. That's how we stop sinning against God. Christianity is not some kind of behavioral change. God transforms us from the inside out. This is not behavioral modification. I'll show you ten things not to do, and you'll be better before God. No, come to God with all your nonsense, and I'll show you who changes you from the inside out. That's Christianity. Come as you are. Come dirty. Come sinful. Come in the middle of the act. The woman in chapter 8 of John was caught in the middle of the act of adultery. Thrown before Christ naked. And right there in the deepest despair of her sin. He looked at her gently. Never looking at her body. Looked at her in the eye and said, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Go sin no more. That's Christianity. Not go put some clothes on and we'll counsel you for a couple of years and then maybe there'll be some forgiveness for you. We'll give you some behavioral modification. Something's deeply wrong with you. You're a prostitute. You run around naked with every man in town. Surely you need some counseling. No! Your sins are forgiven. Go sin no more. How can I do that? Because between you and your sin is me now. Me. You're in him. You're in Christ. Between you and that fleshly desire stands the risen Lord, Jesus Christ, the Lord, fully man, fully God. And all this was brought about by nothing but faithful preaching to the objective cross. That's it. That's it. But Brian, there must be a vision. No vision. No vision. Surely he had dreams. He had no dreams. Surely you saw angels. No, nope, never saw an angel. Surely you don't eat certain foods. No, I eat just about everything. Surely you wash your hands. No, well, my wife makes me wash my hands. Listen, I have nothing but Christ. That's it. Let me close with these two. Paul says something here. He says, why do some of you submit to this teaching? They were Christians. Born of the Spirit. Sins washed away. Who enjoyed God. But they started listening to these persuasive arguments. And they they started to say, yeah, it sounds reasonable. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Surely this this is how you please God. And slowly but surely their eyes started getting away from Christ. And they started getting into these do's and don'ts. And Paul says, how can it be you who washed? Submit 
So these earthly teachings, he calls them elemental spirits. That's like, why in the world are you going back to the sandbox to play with the blocks and Lincoln logs? These are shadows of, of Christ to come. He's here. Put the toys away. Get rid of the rattle. Get rid of it. Get rid of the pacifier. Christ has come. Let me spend a moment here. Paul talks about, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, seducing spirits. This kind of teaching can be very seductive to people that don't know better. A young Christian who's genuinely converted to Christ through grace, who doesn't understand biblical teaching, who's not taught the Bible, who goes to a church that doesn't teach the Bible, who goes to anywhere, but they believe in Christ. They've got this simple childlike faith, and they, I believe in Jesus, and they do, they're sincere, but they don't know what the scriptures teach. They weren't taught like Epaphras taught them. Walk just as you receive Christ, walk in him, As you were taught. All of us can fall into this trap if we're not taught theologically and biblically. We need to be careful. Something else. When we're genuine Christians... And people will go through lengthy, long arguments to try to convince us out of what we believe. All of a sudden, now we're here. All of a sudden, it's like you cannot eat pork, or it's the only the King James version. And I'm sitting there looking at the guy and saying, "You got to be kidding! You, you can't. Aren't you concerned that I'm saved now? I'm not a sinner anymore. I'm saved by the grace of God. And you're talking to me about what translation I'm reading?" Are you you out of your mind? Are you micromanaging? Are are you living? You're living in the minutiae over here. This is this is meaningless. You're majoring in the minors. Who cares what you eat? If you eat a drink, eat it to the glory of God. Paul says, "If you eat, eat. If you drink, drink. Do it all under the law to the glory of God." It's interesting that, and I'll close with this, me and my wife were young believers, maybe maybe two years old, and we loved the Lord. We had simple childlike faith. Uh, I love God. I love Christ. And we sat down at a dinner party, and uh, unbeknownst to me, a, a, a nice young lady was there with me and my wife. It was a friend of mine's sister. And unbeknownst to us, she was a princess in New Age. I don't know what qualifies you to be a prince or a princess in New Age. I'll have to leave that to the new ages, I don't know. But she was a self-confessed princess. Sweetheart. And she sat there one day over many glasses of wine and, and told, told us about her experiences with God. It was like in the garden. And, 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 and we were dumbfounded. I was like, I want that. Because it was seducing. And it was seducing because it was subjective to her. There was no verification. She could have been romancing Satan for all I know. It sounded great. It sounded great. There was a pinch of Jesus in there. And there was a pinch of Buddha in there. There was a pinch of this in there. There was all these pinches. You know, little stardust and pixie dust. It was all in there. And I remember saying, I was like, 
I know the truth and I don't experience that. Because I experience something she'll never experience unless she comes to Christ. And that's truth. That's truth. The deception's over. The deception's over. I say that because as a young believer, I didn't have a, I knew she was wrong, but I couldn't argue back. Not argue, I couldn't reason because I didn't understand the scriptures fully. Let's continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. Let's continue to be a church that knows nothing but the truth of God. It's interesting, as I was studying this out all week and yesterday, I really put some real good thought time into it. And, 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 and me and John get this email, we get this, uh, this it's an encouraging thing for preachers, and we get it every Saturday, and it, 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 it holds us to the sacred calling of preaching. It's encouraging. And this is what it says, it's Martin Luther. Listen to Luther. I have made a covenant with God that he sends me neither visions dreams, or even angels. I am well satisfied with the gift of the Holy Scriptures, which he, give me, which he has given, which gives me abundant instruction in all that I need to know, both in this life and for that life which is to come. Amen. Give me objective truth Amen. and keep your visions, your dreams, your angels to yourself. Yeah. Father, we thank you, God. We thank you for the faithful minister Epaphras, who came and showed them Christ him crucified, and that their sins are full and freely forgiven by his blood, and that through faith and repentance they can be born again. We thank you, Father God, for giving us the scriptures. We thank you that you sanctify us and set us apart with the truth. Your word is truth. I thank you, Father God, that the greatest experience will lie ahead of the believer, Father God, as we get ready to see you on that day. But in the interim, Father God, we live in an already not yet experience. We already know the truth of salvation, the truth of the Holy Spirit, the truth of forgiveness, the truth of your love, but yet we still fight with flesh, Father God. So God, continue to bless this church. Bless our preaching, bless our teaching, bless our fellowship, bless our songs, bless our worship, bless our prayers, our exhortations, God. Because whatever we do, we do to the glory of Christ.